G'day, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to look with you at Psalm 1 today. Psalm 1, we're going to read it, think about what it means and how it applies to us as Christians. Can I encourage you to have your Bible open so we can look at it together? There's also an outline of the talk that will be helpful to you that's in the service program. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us now to understand your word. Help us to meditate on it. Help us to delight in it. And so help us to live uh, the blessed lives of being your people. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for thousands of years, philosophers have discussed this question. What does it look like to live a good life? What is the good life? The ancient Greeks, they thought a lot about this question. People like, uh, people like Socrates and Plato, they reflected on this idea of the good life. And they said a good life, a good life is a life of virtue, a morally good life. They said that it's um, intrinsically better to live a virtuous life. It's just objectively better. But more than that, they said uh, being moral, being virtuous, it will make life more, um, more enjoyable and more pleasurable as well. Let me quote from an article that was written about Plato's essay called The Republic. The morally good person enjoys a sort of inner harmony, whereas the wicked person, no matter how rich and powerful he may be or how many pleasures he enjoys, is disharmonious, fundamentally at odds with himself and the world. This is still a pretty common way of thinking today. Many people, if you ask them, have you lived a good life? They'll talk about the morally good things that they've done, how they've um, looked after their family, how they've contributed helpfully to society. They'll talk about how they've made the world a better place by being a good, virtuous person. Other ancient Greek philosophers, people like Epicurus, they said, if you want to have a good life, if you want to live the good life, you need to pursue pleasure. Um, eat, drink, be merry, indulge your senses. That's what gives you pleasure, or if something else gives you pleasure, something else makes you happy, like um, being successful or having lots of friends or, or something like that, well, go for that. Go for, if you want to have a good life, go for whatever makes you feel good. It's a philosophy that came to be known as hedonism. And again, it's a pretty common way of thinking today, isn't it? As one author puts it, in everyday speech, if we say someone is living the good life, we probably mean that they enjoy lots of recreational pleasures, good food, good wine, skiing, scuba diving, lounging by the pool in the sun with a cocktail and a beautiful partner. Or other ancient Greek philosophers, uh, people like Aristotle, they said the good life, it's about finding fulfillment. Where, where you, you live a life where you, where you do something that you believe to be worthwhile, valuable. I mean, that, that might bring you pleasure, like with hedonism, and it might involve being virtuous, like uh, Plato said. But, but, but the important thing is that you, you've lived a fulfilled life. Now, again, there are still people who hold to this kind of view today. Uh, ask them, have you lived a good life? And they'll point to their achievements. The things that they did that were valuable, the things that they did that were important, the things that they did that, they were, that were worthwhile, things that made their life fulfilling. What do you reckon? What makes for a good life? Let's think about it this way. 
Imagine you're on your deathbed. You look back over your life, think about all the things you've done. What would make you feel satisfied? What would make you think, yeah, yeah, I lived a life worth living. All right, seeing as, as it's December, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to ask you to uh, pause the video, pause the video just uh, for 60 seconds or so, turn to somebody around you, or if you're by yourself, just uh, spend some time reflecting on, the, on, on this yourself. I'll give you just, just a minute or so to discuss this, uh, to think about this for yourself. Um, imagine you're on, you're on your deathbed, you're looking back over your life. What would make you feel like you've lived the good life? Get the question? Okay, take some time to think about it. All right, let's come back together and look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1, the psalmist starts off by saying that a certain kind of person is blessed. Blessed. What does that, what does that mean, that word blessed? Well, basically, it means this person, they have it good. This is the sort of person who is living the good life. That the sort of life that we all should want, that we all should aspire to, the, the, the best sort of life. That the blessed life is the best life. So, what does this best life look like? First, uh, the, the psalmist tells us what the blessed person will avoid. They will avoid bad influences, uh, wicked people, people who ignore and disobey God. Um, they also avoid people who are what, what, uh, what the psalmist calls mockers. That is, people who, who scoff at the idea that there is a God who made the world, a God who will judge us, a God to whom we're accountable. The blessed person, that they, won't get, they won't get caught up under the influence of these kinds of godless people. Verse 1. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. They avoid evil influence, evil company. This is something that, uh, this is something that parents know in, in, instinctively about their children. Uh, you want your children to have a good peer group. You want them to have good influences around them because you know it'll, it'll change them. Well, God wants the same for his children. And so we see it here. Blessed people avoid the influence of godless company. Instead, the psalmist says, blessed people, they will, they'll, they'll, they'll passionately devote themselves to living for God. Uh, the psalmist says that they will, they will delight in God's law. Uh, that word law, it's the Hebrew word Torah. In this context, of, of course, it's referring to the law of Moses, the Old Testament law. But, but the word is broader than that. Uh, the word Torah, it means teaching, God's teaching. So blessed people, they will delight in, uh, in learning about God. They'll love to learn about God. And so the psalmist says they will meditate on his word. That, that they will, they'll read it. They'll reflect on it. 
reflect on what it means. They'll, they'll, they'll learn it, memorize it, take it to heart. And, and they'll, they will put it into practice in their lives. And, and, and when do they do this? When, when, do, when do these blessed people meditate on, on God's word? The psalmist says they do it day and night. Verse 2. So blessed is the one who avoids all that evil influence. But verse 2, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Uh, this bit of the psalm, it reminds me of that, uh, that famous passage from Deuteronomy. I've put it uh, there on your outline. Notice how it's the opposite of verse um, 1 in the psalm here. Uh, so in, in the psalm, you don't, you don't uh, stand or sit or walk with sinners um, instead, in Deuteronomy, on your outline there, uh, look at what you should do when you stand or sit or walk. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Uh, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you stand up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, whatever you do. Bind them on your foreheads, wherever you go. Write them on the door frames of your houses. Be a, a, a godly house. And on your gates, be godly cities. Can you see? Can you see this is... a. It's a whole-of-life picture, isn't it? At home, at work, at leisure, day and night. It's a life spent with God's people being, being soaked in God's word. Next, the psalmist goes on to talk about what life will be like, uh, what, what life will be like for this blessed person. He says they're, they're like a tree that is planted next to a constant water supply. So they have everything that they need to, to thrive, to, to, to prosper, to do well, to have the good life. Verse 3. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Next, the psalmist contrasts this blessed life with the life of wicked people. But notice, he doesn't say a whole heap about what life will be like here on earth for the wicked. Because that could be anything. Instead, he focuses on judgment day. He says that on judgment day, doesn't matter what kind of life they've had here on earth, on judgment day, the wicked will fall. They won't pass the test. They won't make it through God's judgment. They won't, they won't have a place among God's people. And so all their life, everything they've lived for, everything they've done, it will soon be gone. It'll be blown away. Uh, the psalmist says like chaff. Chaff is the, the, the husks of wheat that you throw away to get to the seed. Verse 4. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. 
The wicked will have no place among God's people on judgment day. Everything they are, everything they have, it'll be lost because the psalmist says there are two paths. There's the path of righteousness, living as God's person, which will mean enjoying his protection and care and blessing. And, and then there's the, there's the path of wickedness, where you ignore God, where you ignore his ways, where you, where you join with those who, who mock God. But that's going to lead to destruction. Verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Okay. Can you see what's here in Psalm 1? It's a, it's a picture of the blessed person, the person who lives the good life, the best life, the blessed life. And, and what do we see? First, they avoid godless influences. Second, they delight in and meditate on God's word and they enjoy the protection and care of God who gives them prosperity and success in whatever they do. Contrast that with the wicked person. Um, whatever that means for this life, they will not be counted among God's people on judgment day. They will face destruction. All right, pretty simple psalm, this contrast between the blessed and the, and the unrighteous. Uh, pretty simple psalm, and, and it's an important topic. What does it look like to live the good life? But before we apply this psalm to ourselves, we, we, we just do need to be a bit careful. We need to keep a couple of things in mind. As Christians, there are a couple of things we need to remember as we apply, that we need to remember as we apply this Old Testament passage to ourselves as New Testament Christians. First thing to remember is this: we don't want to overestimate our ability. We don't want to overestimate our ability. The Bible is perfectly clear about this, including the Psalms. The Bible is clear. We are all sinners. In one sense, none of us are righteous. So, for example, in your outline there from Psalm 130, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. The New Testament is also clear about it. For example, there on your outline from Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no unrighteous. Not even one. As we read Psalm 1, we don't want to overestimate our ability. So here's the point. Here's the point. If you think you can be this righteous person of Psalm 1, if you think you can be this righteous person by, by trying hard to be good and by, by reading the Bible every day, you're going to be disappointed. The reality is, only Jesus fulfills Psalm 1. Only he was without sin. Only he truly loved God. Only he was truly righteous. Only Jesus truly deserves to prosper and to have a place among God's people forever. As Christians, we need to read Psalm 1 knowing that we are not in and of ourselves righteous, but righteous because we are sinners saved by Jesus. The only way we can be righteous, the only way we can have a place among God's people is if, as it said in Psalm 30, there is forgiveness for us. The only chance we have to live the blessed life is because Jesus died on the cross in our place and rose again so we can be forgiven. Now, this, this blessed life, it can come to us only through faith in Jesus. 
Okay, so there's the first thing to remember. We don't want to overestimate our ability. Second thing, second thing to keep in mind as we read this Old Testament psalm is this. We don't want to, um, the theological term is, we don't want to overrealize our eschatology. We don't want to overrealize our eschatology. To, to, to overrealize your eschatology, it means to, um, to expect things now here on earth that are really only promised for heaven. To expect things on earth that are only promised for heaven. As we read Psalm 1, we need to realize this is talking about life in God's promised land. And it's, 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 it's idealized. It's a picture of the ideal righteous person who lives the ideal blessed life in the promised land. Uh, this psalm, it's not going to be fully true for us in this life. In this life, we're not going to really delight in the Lord. We're not going to really prosper in every way. This is not going to be true for us ultimately until we reach our promised land, the new heaven and earth. Now, again, as you, as you work your way through the Psalms, and even in this Psalm, Psalm 1, like, the, the psalmist knows that um, because you're righteous doesn't mean everything's fabulous in this life. And you see it even in verse 5 of Psalm 1. It's, it's not until judgment day that the wicked get what's coming. Uh, the New Testament is also clear about this. There's an expectation that for us here on earth as Christians, um, the expectation is that life will be tough, that, that there might be persecution, there might be trouble for serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But the thing the New Testament constantly reminds us is this life is not all there is. So, for example, on, um, from the book of Romans there, from the book of Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings here on earth are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us in the new creation. <coughs> As Christians, we need to be clear on this. The good life, the life pictured in Psalm 1, it's ultimately to be found in heaven, where we will see God face to face, where we will be without sin or suffering or death forever, where we will delight in him. That, that, that's where the good life is. Psalm 1 will find its fulfillment in heaven. So remember, as you read this psalm, uh, don't, don't, don't over-realize your eschatology. Don't expect now what is promised for heaven. All right, so with those two caveats, those two things we've got to be careful about, two things to keep in mind, uh, don't overestimate your ability as you read this psalm, and don't, as you read this psalm, over-realize your eschatology. But having said all of that, um, Psalm 1 is God's word to us, and there is, there is wonderful wisdom here. Psalm 1 gives us, gives us wonderful wisdom as we, as Christians, rely on Jesus and wait for him to return. As we, as we seek to live good lives here on earth on our way to heaven. It's good wisdom here. So, so, so let's think about applying Psalm 1 to ourselves. Uh, two things. Two things in particular here for us. Two things that will help us to, to live the blessed life here on earth. First, first thing to keep in mind from this psalm, first thing, um, the people that we listen to, the people who influence us, and second, listening to God. The people that we listen to and listening to God. Someone reminds us, firstly, that 
the people will listen. The people we listen to will influence us. If we are listening to the wicked, to, to the sinners, to the mockers, it will change us. The New Testament is also clear about this. There on your outline from 1 Corinthians, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Friends, what company are you keeping? Is your main companion, your main influencer, is it, is it YouTube? Or, or, or Netflix? Who, who are the people you you listen to, the people who influence you? Is it people on Facebook? Is it, is it people at work? Do you know what, friends? I suspect for most of us, the voices that we, we most often hear, the voices that crowd our lives, the voices that, uh, that, that, that influence us, they are not voices that will help us to live the blessed life of Psalm 1. This is worth reflecting on, isn't it? It's worth thinking about the voices that you allow into your life, the voices that you listen to that influence you. Think carefully. We need to think carefully about the TV that we watch. We need to think carefully about our social media interaction. We need to think carefully about the people we spend our time with and aspire to be like. We need to ask ourselves... Are these influences, are they pointing me towards God and, and the good life, the blessed life? Or are they pointing me down the path of destruction? It's worth thinking about our unhelpful influences. That, that's point one, the people we listen to. And then, friends, positively from Psalm 1, it's worth, it's worth making space in our lives for God and his word. As it says there, we should delight in God's word, meditate on his, on his word day and night. We need to, to listen to God. We need to listen to God's voice in his word. If we want to live the good life, if we want to live a life worth living, if we want to live a life that we can look back on from heaven and feel positive about, if we want to live the blessed life, we need to learn from Psalm 1. We need to delight ourselves in God's word. We need to meditate on God's word. We need to, we need to read it. We need to think about what it means, reflect on it, and make sure we understand it. And we need to think hard about how this applies to our lives, how this is going to be our influence. And then we need to put it into practice. Friends, we need to be doing this as individuals. We need to be doing this in our families. But you know what, friends? This is a big part of why we exist as a church. This is a massive part of why we exist as a church. We exist as a church for lots of reasons, but one of the big reasons is to give you opportunities to gather with God's people and to hear from God's word. To gather with God's people, to hear from God's word. It's a big part of what we do at church each week. We gather together and we meditate on God's word, exactly as we have been doing with Psalm 1. We read the Bible. We think about what it means. We think about how it applies to us. Big part of what we do uh, when we gather on Sundays as a church, and, and of course this is, this is also part of why we strongly encourage every, every member of our church to be involved in a midweek Bible study. I mean, it, it's one thing to 
sit in a chair and, and listen to me drone on on a Sunday. But, but at Bible study, you get to, um, get, get to engage for yourself um, with, with, with a group of people and, and, and to open the Bible and to ask questions and to think about answers and, and to listen to each other. It's, it's a wonderful way to, to gather with God's people and listen to his word. A friend, if, if you're in a Bible study already, can I encourage you? Keep going. Um, be, be back at Bible study next year. Make it a big priority for 2022. Be regular. It's going to be a bit more difficult, I think, face-to-face. -face. Zoom was very convenient, but, but it's so vital. Make it a priority for 2022. If you are not in a Bible study, well, I encourage you, make 2022 the year that you start. Friends, it's a habit that you will not regret. It's a precious opportunity to gather with God's people, to meditate on his word, to help you live the blessed life of Psalm 1. Um, but friends, our friends, don't just take my word for it. Um, we're going to have a spotlight right now and, and let's hear from some other people about the value of being in a Bible study group. Hi, everyone. My name is Alvin and I attend the 9am service at CPC. Well, I've been going to Bible study for about four years now. And for me, when I started to attend Bible study, I knew God was playing a bigger part in my life. The choices I made in life, as well as my spiritual growth, was definitely a lot different compared to when I didn't go to Bible study. If I had to compare when I was reading the Bible to studying the Bible, I would say that I had a more intimate understanding of the Bible. Understanding God's word really is the key to knowing how I should live my life according to what pleases God. At Bible study, there is a lot of great faithful discussion, which really does lead to a clearer understanding of the various passages. I always walk away with knowing more about God and how I should be living my life. The leaders are really knowledgeable and encouraging, and I always feel comfortable asking questions. It's great to be able to meet up with other Christians too, growing and encouraging each other, developing stronger relationships, and to be constantly praying for each other for things we are really finding difficult in our lives. So I do really recommend joining a Bible study and to experience the changes God can make in your life as he has made in my life. Thanks. Hi, I'm Shirley and I go to the 1045 service. I've been attending the Connect Women Bible Studies on a Wednesday morning. I think that everyone should attend a Bible study because I found it so rewarding to be able to study God's word in a small group setting. I have made so many friendships with women of all ages and I, we have been able to support each other in um, any trials that we're going through in life. It runs during the school term uh, when kids are at school and we also have a crèche for those with little ones. There's always so much laughter uh, and especially there's cake every other week to celebrate someone's birthday. So join the Bible study in the new year. You won't regret it. Hi everyone, uh, my name's Kyle. I go to the 6.30pm evening service and this year I've been attending Warren and Jeff Davis's Bible study on a Wednesday night. Uh, I've really loved Bible study over the past two years and something that I've found really encouraging is seeing uh, particularly men in different decades of their life, so some in their 40s, 50s and 60s, 
uh, living the Christian life faithfully. And I think me as a, a younger man, being able to see that and see what faithful, godly Christian living looks like uh, later in life um, encourages me to stick with the faith and it, and it gives me an example that I should uh, live up to. Um, I think gathering together to read the Bible each week uh, in fellowship, not just with men but with women as well, uh, is just such a constant uh, encouragement to me to keep trusting and living for Jesus. And I think it's for that reason that I think you should also uh, commit and go to a Bible study in 2022. Friends, what is the good life? What is the best life? What is the blessed life? Ultimately, it's going to be the new heaven and new earth. That's where we'll live a, a, a true life of delighting in God, seeing him face to face, enjoying his blessing and, and prosperity in, in all that we do. But even here and now, friends, even here on this earth, it's possible to have a genuine taste of the good life as we trust in Jesus, as we live for him, as, as we gather with God's people, and as we meditate on his delightful word. It is possible for us here and now to to live the blessed life, the good life. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you because your ways are best. You are the true God, uh, the true God who gives true prosperity, the true God who offers the good life. So Father, do please help us to trust in Jesus. Do please... At the end, accept us through judgment into eternal life, that blessed life with you forever. But even here and now, help us to live lives where we gather with your people and delight in your word. Help us to live now for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, please strengthen us to do this, we pray, by the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.